Amen. Thank you. You can, yeah. Good morning, Ecclesia. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're one of our kiddos uh, that's heading to our Ecclesia kids classes, uh, you can be dismissed. We're thankful for uh, all of those who are serving our kiddos this morning. And uh, as I begin this morning, I, I want to make a few clarifications to part of my sermon last week, all right? And uh, I found it interesting that as we jump into this text, I felt like this past week, I just had kind of a check in my spirit. I felt like the Lord just said, hey, kind of review something you said last week. And, uh, and then we jump into the text this week, and it says, let your words be few. And those who have words that are many uh, tend to, uh, their, their, their words can actually get them in trouble. And, uh, and so I wanted to bring some clarification. And I, I do this, one, uh, out of love for you and want to make sure that, I, that I'm speaking clearly. And uh, this, this past week, I, I received a, a text uh, from someone here in our church, and they just said, hey, pastor, I, I would love to connect with you, but I know you had mentioned seeking to have quiet hands, so I didn't know if you were available. And I, I just wanted to say as, as I begin this morning, um, and, and hopefully even maybe you heard in the larger context of the sermon, but I would say it's not upon you. If that's not what, what you heard, uh, I want to be sure and clarify, and I want to make sure that that uh, what I intended and, and really what my heart was trying to say in that uh, really comes through. And so uh, it's not your fault in interpretation, it's my fault in not clar clarifying. And so I, I want to just come out and say it like if you left last week uh, saying like, man, Pastor Justin made me feel like a burden, okay? I want you to, to hear uh, there is joy in serving you. In, in talking about this idea that we looked at last week of talking about having quiet hands and hands of toil, uh, the idea there is there is a season to get to work. There is a season to hustle. But in that season, we also want to have times of, of quietness. And in our seasons of hustle, we as pastors desire and long to serve you. It's a joy to serve you. Uh, we are always eager to jump in with people who are eager to grow into maturity of the Lord, to, to come alongside and serve. And you, we hear a lot, and, and I want to make sure that we, we don't communicate, um, because I, I hear a lot, well, pastor, I'm sure you're busy. And I want you to know, like, we're, we're busy with you, and we want to be busy with you, and we want to serve you. And so we make time for investments that matter, and I just want you to, to hear me say if in the co larger context of the sermon last week was we over me, if I were sitting there, I just, I want to tell myself, like, I don't serve in this role to serve me and my needs, but to serve the larger body. And I, I hope you heard that. And, and I just want to communicate that. You matter to us. You matter to our pastoral team and to the Lord. Second of all, I made a comment last week, um, and, and I felt like I prefaced it with not to discredit relationships, but... It, I think we live in a time where if you pulled sound bites out of something, uh, we've seen that get people in trouble recently, okay? And, uh, and I said, um, if, if we were to be gathered around at the end of my life, and there would probably be none of you at my deathbed, okay? This comment. And I, I want to clarify some, some language around that. And, and one, I would still stick behind that statement. That doesn't give us allowance to not serve and love the people that we're surrounded by. The question that, that I really wanted to wrestle with in that idea is, why are you serving the people? And that's where, at the, the final part of the, the passage that we looked at last week, it was talking about a king, and the king would rise up to power, and, and then his, his fame... And, and his acknowledgement and his sense of success, no one remembered him. And it's this idea of going like, we are to serve out of love and enjoyment the people that are surrounded by us. We don't serve to, to gain an applause or to, to gain a crowd at the end of our life to, to, uh, to announce our fame or to acknowledge our fame. Uh, 
and, and so if there's any sense in which that, that we are serving out of, a, out of a sense of acquiring that acceptance and love from people, we're going to be sadly disappointed at the end of life. And the idea there is that, you know, the very people that yelled Hosanna as Jesus walked through the streets a few days later yelled crucify him. And, and people are always looking for another king. And I think that's important to know. Uh, but that doesn't discredit because I, I think in the context of how I shared it last week, it sounded as if none of you are going to be at my deathbed, so none of you matter. Okay? And that's not what I wanted to communicate. And so I wanted to be clear with that, and, and I hope you heard that, and, uh, and, and just would say, um, the position you hold in people's lives will not always remain, and I think that's important to know. Are you serving for the position, or are you serving out of the position? One seeks to serve for selfish gain, the other seeks to serve out of love and enjoyment, and so... I wanted to make that clarification, and then I found it interesting, you know, as we turn the chapter and we get into chapter five, and it's like, let your words be few. And I was like, that w- that's very wise words. And, and I said, you know, this morning as we jump in, I'm like, maybe we should just read the text and I should sit down. I feel like it's... Uh, <laughs> It lacks humility for me to add to the words of Solomon this morning in light of this text. But I want to do so out of, out of service and love uh, for our body. And I hope you see that we're, we're kind of turning the corner here in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see some of the, the first instructions or commands. If you, you read back Ecclesiastes 1 through 4, you're going to begin to see that there's a lot of uh, description or a lot of, of his reflections on life, but this is, where, as we kind of step into chapter 5, these are some of the first commands or in, instruction uh, that, that we see in this, in this book, and I think we've spent a lot of chapters here uh, discussing uh, that there's a lot of things that don't really matter in life, and, and I think what he's drawing us into here in Ecclesiastes 5 is there's something that really does matter in life. In fact, God's name is mentioned six times, where in chapter 4 we look, almost, God was almost absent from, from some of the previous chapters. And I would just remember previous weeks being in my community group and like, well, what about God? And, and I think these first few chapters kind of leave us uh, in, in this idea of life under the sun is, is God's missing from so much of life. And, and here's where Solomon jumps in and says, but it doesn't have to be that way. Life under the sun doesn't have to be life absent from God. And maybe some of the discouragement or darkness that you've experienced in, in maybe Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4, hopefully this begins to, to, to shine a light. And maybe the light is dim, but we begin to see that there, there actually could be some meaning, some significance to this life that we're called to live under the sun. Now, you might ask, as we jump into chapter 5, it, it feels like a, a, an abrupt turn. If you've ever been riding with someone and all of a sudden they, you know, yank the car to the left and, and you're like hanging on, this is, this is kind of one of those, those chapters and we kind of got to figure out how is this connected? What, 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 what's happening here? And, you know, Solomon doesn't unfold like as he's preaching the sermon, he doesn't say, hey, so my next point is, and, and, he, and he gives us some summary or description of where he's headed, uh, we're kind of left to wonder what's happening. And, and if I were to, to just say, what, what do I believe is happening here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5? I, w- I would say, in this life under the sun, we've, we've experienced there, there's hardships, there's a search for meaning, a search for significance, a, a search for acceptance, a search for some type of gain or reward, and, and it can be somewhat discouraging, this life under the sun. And what if this idea of, as he talks about drawing near to the house of God, and we're going to define that in a little bit, because to Solomon, that was the temple, and they would gather together in the temple and, and what they would experience there, but 
we know that we now, because of Jesus and the work of Jesus, that we are the temple of God. And so there's even a greater reality to this passage because it's not going on, on, on one day of a week to, to a temple, but his presence is now going with us everywhere, 24-7. And so there's a greater reality to this, but this idea of what if there was some place of respite? What if there was some place of refuge in this life under the sun where we experience injustices and brokenness and all the things that he's described here that makes you want to say, I, I hate life, that makes you want to say, we should have never been born. It, it, it kind of causes this angst in you. And he goes, what if there was a place? What if there was a place that you could come? What if there was a, a, a location that you could walk in and you could experience God, you could experience his presence, that it would be a picture of, of some type of, of Eden, that you would experience this this respite and this refuge and this care, and it would just be maybe just a small taste, a small sliver of, of what being fully in his presence forever will be like. And if you're here this morning and you've journeyed in church life for any significant amount of time, there's probably been seasons where when you think about this place being a place of respite and refuge, you're kind of left wanting more. I can tell you as, as pastors, we have met with numerous people who have come wanting to walk in these doors, wanting to, to walk into a place of refuge and care and love and acceptance and only to find the opposite. I know, I know of numerous people who have walked away from church and it wasn't because of their understanding of who Jesus is or their desire to, to follow the Lord, but in some ways they just can't stand church people. And, and as they've, they've come in and they've journeyed, we've experienced a lot of people who've experienced a lot of pain and a lot of hurt in, in rooms like this. Now, what's interesting is I don't feel like Solomon tells us that we should just stop going then. There's a sense in which that, that I feel like rather than quitting, quitting church or being upset with church, that we instead are, are to seek to cultivate a life that recovers what this house of God was meant to be. That we're to press in towards that. And I think there's many mistakes that we can make in this area and talking about like, what does it look like for us to be the house of God and experience the house of God? And I, you can almost imagine, even as we read this text, imagine if you were to be flipping through the internet or social media and you come across a video introducing our church, okay? And imagine you were to go on and you were to watch that and if I were to summarize 5, 1 through 7, it would say something like this. Be careful as you go to Ecclesia. There's lots of people who talk there. They think they're religious, but they're just blind. They don't keep their word. So come visit, but fear God. It's like, I don't know that that sounds very inviting, right? I'm wondering if we need to guard our steps, if we were to be careful in how we step in, should we even go at all? And what I want you to hear is there is so much invitation in this passage. The very fact that we can come before the presence of God is amazing. The very fact that we get to come together in a very broken way, because as long as there's sin in the world, the church is going to be in some ways a, a broken place, but we're a place that desires and longs as we've experienced the grace of God the Father that we would extend the grace to one another. And so there's an invitation here. There, there, there may be some temptation to avoid any area of life that may be uncomfortable or painful, but I want you to see that through this text that God actually does a work in us in this environment. That it's the very nature of this environment of coming together that God actually surfaces things. And so if, if we were to experience what, what he wants us to experience here, which 
I would say, as Greg read, and where we're going to end this morning, is this picture of standing in awe and amazement of God the Father, that we would come and that we would truly see, like, you're in God's, how would you act in God's house? What would you do? What would be your posture? What would be your behavior? And if, if, if we're going to really seek to do that and, and we want to come to God's house, what are some things that need to be in place? And I'll, I'll tell you, there, there's three that I think jump out at this text at me. And, and I'll give them to you out of the gates. Guard your steps, guard your mouth, guard your heart. Let's talk about them. Guard your steps. He says in verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Now, I talked about the house of God, and, and I, I want to help us understand this, because uh, what was the house of God, what was that referring to in the days of Solomon? How, how, do, we, how do we describe that? And so, we, we, this idea of the house of God it was, was the temple, and so we... You, you would go to the temple to worship. People would gather at the temple to worship. Sacrifices were brought. This was a place where people would go. This was not a place uh, where, where that in, in a sense, that God built this temple for him, but it was really for us. It was a place for us to come and experience the presence of God. And so the Bible teaches, though, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and we see in the life of Jesus that the Bible teaches that because of Jesus, our bodies are now the temple of God. And so there's a, there's a greater reality, as we talked about, to this idea of, of, of the temple. Because now we get to experience his presence in all of life. And so I, I think about this idea of like guarding your steps, guarding your mouth, guarding your heart. And it's like when you come to the temple, when you come to worship, when you come to gather, and we still have some of that reality, and, and I want to kind of draw both pictures because we are in a place, we, we come together, this is a gathering place of God's people to come together to worship, to celebrate, and how we posture ourselves, even coming in the, this room this morning, is, is uh, very important. We need to, to consider how it is that we walk in. But I think there's a greater reality of going, every day we're in the presence of God, so every day we actually need to guard our steps, guard our mouth, guard our heart, okay? And so this is this idea, we, we don't go to a temple, we are the temple, uh, but it has greater meaning and significance even in our lives today. So how do we approach the house of God? That's the second question I want to answer. He says, guard your steps, now, many of you who know my story know that when I was very, very little, was born, I was, I was actually baptized, initially sprinkled in the Catholic Church. And so I grew up in the Catholic Church, and if you're familiar with the Catholic tradition, um, most Catholic churches that I know of don't meet in old grocery stores like we're gathering in today, right? No, they're like beautiful cathedrals, beautiful sanctuaries, tall ceilings, historic paintings. I remember looking upon the wall and there's, you know, stained glass windows and, and just there was, a, there was a historical, there was a weightiness even to walking in the room. You knew, like my kids come in this room and they like run laps around. I would never have thought to walk into the sanctuary of our Catholic church and start running laps, right? I, I, I actually went to Catholic school. I was already afraid of the nuns, all right? So that was scary. And, but there was a weightiness. When you walked into the room, there was a significance of, of going, I'm in the presence of God. And I, and I remember saying that for me, personally in my story, growing up in the Catholic faith actually was a gift because it taught me about the big nature and character of God. It gave me this understanding that God is supreme, God is significant, God is great, God is over all, God is holy. And in, in many ways, I saw him very separate. The thing that I lacked was understanding the very relational nature of God and his love for me and compassion for me and his sending of Jesus to take on my sin. And so I just remember growing up with this very big, like, cannot approach God, to, to walk into his house was significant, 
And I, and I feel like that would, that would do something for us today in the sense of, you know, many churches as we are planting and seeking to see more churches planted all over the valley. We gather wherever we can, and we have. We've gathered in movie theaters and schools and parks and outdoors and other church gymnasiums, and here we are in an old grocery store. And, and so we, we find ourselves gathering. So maybe you walk in this morning, and, and you don't walk into beautiful stained glass and tall ceilings that make you feel really small, uh, but we're still called to walk in and, and have a posture, in a sense, that recognizes how big God is is. And so we're to, to be cautious to enter, but I don't want to see this caution as a sense of fear of going like, your behavior is inappropriate and you're, you're ready to, you know, get your hand slapped by a ruler. You know, the, it's this sense of going, we're, we're, we're standing on holy ground. And I believe when, when I look upon our congregation as Robert Marshall, who taught at our church two weeks ago, I believe you guys take this seriously. The very fact that you posture yourselves and, and, and one of the things that he mentioned that you would come and you would bring your kids and you would wrestle with them for an hour and a half, like you feel like something significant is happening in this room and that's encouraging. You're, you're posturing yourself to hear and, and to listen. I believe God is honored in your commitment, but if, if we're real with one another, we know that it's, it's sometimes hard to walk in this room with this sense and posture of, I'm going to meet in the, in the presence of God, and that's challenging, to guard our steps as we enter into the house of God. How do you, how do you approach Sunday morning? You know, when I think about, for many of us, uh, you've been struggling you, you get up, and maybe you woke up late this morning, so you're running behind, and you're wrangling a kid, and you're trying to put him in one of those contraptions that buckles him in, and you're, you're frustrated, and, or maybe you're just, you know, you feel like there's so much on your plate, and you're just walking in with the burdens of, of, of the week, and you know, so many areas of life that we come in, and in and, and just the week, like, we walk in in and, and, and exhaustion, and and I want you to hear that the Lord knows how you're entering in. He knows the burdens of the week. He knows the challenges of the week. And I would tell you, you don't have to get it all worked out and fixed before you walk in the door. That's not what he's talking about, guarding your steps. But he's posturing you in a, in a place and a position to receive this morning. That's why we, we have like this moment of preparation. Maybe you've, you've been coming you know, for the past year, two years, and you, you know that before we begin the Sunday gathering, if, if you're not talking to a neighbor or running to use the restroom, or you'll, you'll hear one of our pastors stand up and say, hey, we just want to take a few minutes to, to kind of posture ourselves and prepare. And, and it's a moment to just kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, what are, what are we here to do? Why, why are we gathering together this morning? And this is the idea, I feel like, of, of guarding our steps, that we come in, that, that we really stand with open hands, and we say, God, I desperately need to hear from you this morning. We're entering into his house. Now, you may ask, why do we need to guard our steps? And I think the passage tells us, guard your steps when you go to the house of God, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Why? For they do not know that they're doing evil. So this, I believe, is a warning in the sense that we can walk in this room, and if we take it into the greater reality and experience of that we are the temple of God, that we can go about our lives in the presence of God not even knowing that we're doing evil. What is he saying? He's saying we're blind to some of the areas of life. We don't even know. We don't even know these areas. We're, we're living life unaware. Now, I, I've, I've told you, I've mentioned before, uh, Welcome to Earth. We love this show on the Disney Channel. If you haven't watched it, it's a worshipful experience. It's amazing. R the first episode, they go to Mount Yasser, which is like one of the most active volcanoes in the entire world. And the man hiking with them is Eric Weihemeyer. Here's what's interesting about Eric. He, he is a explorer. He's hiked Mount Everest. He's blind. 
it's not like Will Smith is, is in this, and it's not like Will Smith is dragging him up. Like, he is, is walking and climbing the mountain on his own. He is rafting down a river on his own. It's amazing, his senses. But there's a moment where they climb Mount Yasser, and they're, they're looking down over this giant pit, and lava's exploding, and it's unbelievable. And he takes off his glasses almost as if he's, like, trying to see and, and he, t- he looks at Will Smith and he goes, tell me what you see. And I, and I love this picture because, one, the description that Will Smith gave, I was like, that's awesome. Like, to, to be able to describe that to, to this man who's blind is unbelievable. But I go, what a gift that would be if we were to gather together with people and we were to come to them and that we would acknowledge that we're blind to areas in our life that are evil, and we would come to someone and say, hey, tell me what you see. Do, do, you, do you have those people? Do you, do you feel like you are in relationship with, with someone who, that you can come and stand before and go, tell me what you see? I'm, I'm thankful in many ways that someone said, hey, like, this is how I received your sermon last week. And I was like, oh, man, that's not what I intended. Tell me what you see. I want to know because that's not my heart. That's not my desire. And I think that's what he's he's warning us here is that it's it's not intentional in many ways that we, we are seeking to do evil. We're blind to these very areas of our life. And we need people to come alongside us and tell us, tell me, what do you see? We have to guard our steps. We could be walking in this room blind to the brokenness that we're causing with our mouths and with our actions. And, and this is God's house. God cares about his house. Think about my house. I care about what happens in my house. God cares about what happens in his house. And, and, and so he, he's, he's concerned. He's and, and it's all about him. It, it gets to the very end of the chapter and it says, God's the one you should fear. And, and we should come in and that we should guard our steps how we walk in here. That this is about him. This room is about him. This room is not about our pastors. This room is not about us. This room is not about our performance. This room is all about him. And so we're to enter in. There's a humility as we walk in. There is a a posture in which we're to walk in. But then he talks about our mouth, that there's something that happens to our mouth when we come into the presence of God. Now, uh, in my college days, I remember uh, when I was reading this passage in preparation, a a song came to mind. And a guy by the name of Matt Redman wrote a song. He says, you are God in heaven, and here I am on earth, okay? So it's this idea of like, you're here, I'm here, so I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I'm so in love with you, and I'll stand in awe of you, I'll stand in awe of you, I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I'm so in love with you. And one of the things I love about like 90s worship is that their words were few, like it was an easy song. We could all remember it. I was joking with our worship team this morning. Worship songs have like a thousand words, right? And I, I know that Jesus said like, hey, like, don't just come with a rambling of words, you know, in the sense of going, I'm like, man, some of our worship songs, we need to go back to the 90s where, you know, there was three lyrics and three chords and we sang them over and over again. And it just like really drives home the point. Because, I mean, I read this text, and this song came to mind. I put it on for my kids yesterday, and I said, hey, I want you to hear this song. And I asked them. I asked them the question, why would our position, and I asked this in a way that my 12, 10, and 8-year-old would understand, but why would our position limit our words? Why would this idea of God in heaven and we're on earth cause us to say, I'm going to let my words be few. He says in the text, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, 
nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And it's this idea of how does the position of, of where God is and the position where I am cause me to limit my words? And, and I think that's something that, that we should wrestle with. I, I put it in the context for my kids to help them understand. My kids watch uh, YouTube Kids, and their favorite people to watch is Dude Perfect. And so I go, imagine walking into a restaurant in Salt Lake City, and we walk in, and Dude Perfect, all the, all the, the cast, they're all sitting at a table. How would you respond? And, I, and I'm like, maybe you just, you're like run up and you start talking to them. And, but I, it's like, sometimes there's just a sense of, of going like, oh my gosh, that's dude perfect over there. And we do that with people of lower fame and people that hold this, this famous uh, title in our world. Or, or maybe there's a famous musician or there's a sense of going, we, we think we'd run up. And if you've ever been around someone of fame, you're like, I don't want to be that guy like running up like, hey, I'm your biggest fan. And you're just like, in some ways, there's, there's a posturing that causes you to be quiet. And what he's talking about here is going, God is all knowing. God is, is, has this oversight and, 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 and this idea of, of perception in the world. And if you were to come before God, we wouldn't have a rambling of words. We'd just be quiet and we would stand in awe of him. We would just be captivated. We would let our words be few. We wouldn't know how to describe it. We wouldn't know what we're seeing, what we're experiencing. Let me put it in your perspective. I mean, imagine you're in the business to, to, to start the next tech startup. And imagine you're, you're given 30-minute meeting with the leading CEO who has recently excelled to the top. Can you imagine walking into that meeting and spending 30 minutes talking about yourself and your accomplishments? It'd be a waste. And I'm going, if I'm walking into God's house, am I, am I walking into God's house in a sense of going, let me tell you all I got. Let me tell you what I've come to bring. And it's this idea of going, you bring sacrifices, you bring rambling of words. And, and I just go, do we posture ourselves as we walk in this room this morning? That we come and we go, I, I don't have a sacrifice. That we come and we say, I, I don't have words to offer. I don't have words to bring. But we literally come with empty, ha empty hands, and we come this morning, and we just say, God, I want to be captivated by your presence. I want to experience you. That we come to listen. I think about early on in my Christian journey, that was my posture. Why? Because I didn't have anything to bring. But over time, as I became a more professional Christian, that's not a thing. I feel like I got a lot more to offer God. I got a lot more skills, talents, abilities, words. He needs me. And the truth is, he doesn't. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need me to stand up here and teach for 40 minutes this morning. God doesn't need me to come and there's nothing I can offer God that he doesn't already have. And so if we're coming to God's house, we come with a posture of humility, of open hands, just ready to hear, ready to listen. I'll read a quote. It says, when we go, we, we keep trying again to, to hear him, to teach us to listen to reorient our lives under the sun around his voice rather than our voice. We try to take on his character rather than ours. We, we take on his grace rather than our performance, his ways rather than ours. We go to church 
in order to learn how to slow our tongues and to quiet our hearts. We are meant, catch this, we are meant by means of our church going to unlearn our hasty hearts and to detox our rash voices. I'll read that again. I messed it up. We are meant by means of church going to unlearn our hasty hearts and to detox our rash voices. That this very sense of having this regular rhythm of coming together with God's people every week is is meant to push us into a place of where we come and we just bring our empty hands every week and and we say, God, I need to hear from you. I told my kids, kids, tomorrow when you go, like we're not, we're not just going to be entertained. We're not going to tell people our stories. We're going to hear. Like you can hear, Jet, you can hear from the Lord tomorrow. Lila Kate, you can hear from the Lord. He will speak to you. And the greater reality is that he doesn't just do it here. That if we'll quiet our voices, if we're not so much about our performance and what we can bring and what we can do and everything that we want to say, if we'll just quiet and come humble before the Lord and just say, I need to hear from you, he'll speak to you. What do you need to hear from the Lord today? I, I fully believe and, and am fully aware that people walking in this room this morning are in a presence of going, I need to hear that we just come and we're saying, I, I need to hear from you, Lord. I'm surrendering. I want to submit my life to you, Lord. It, it brings back this idea of this parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18. I'll, t- I'll summarize for you and you can, you can go and look it up. In Luke chapter 18, 9 through 15, it, it summarizes the story of a Pharisee and, and, and a tax collector. And it says, Jesus was speaking to a group of people who trusted in themselves. Now, I'll ask you, uh, people who trust in themselves, are they coming with many words or few words? Probably many words, right? They trust in themselves. They have a lot to bring. And so he's, he's speaking to a people who trusted in themselves. Early on in the text, it says they didn't fear God. It's interesting. It's in contrast to this passage of going, we, you should fear God. But it says, the Pharisees standing in the temple, full of words. The tax collector standing far off from the temple. It says he couldn't lift his face to heaven. And the only words he could say were, be merciful. And it said this this tax collector, this man who came, who was full of words, who trusted in himself, who didn't fear God, who came into the temple standing there, and his words were basically, thank you, God, that I'm not like all these other men. And the tax collector who was standing far off, head bowed, couldn't even feel like, he couldn't even look up to God. He was standing in the presence of God. He was amazed by God. He couldn't and, and he just has two words, Lord, be merciful. And it says that that man went home justified. He went home made right with God. I just ask you this morning, as you walk in, what's your posture here this morning? Are you someone who comes with many words and many things, and you're just coming and you're like, thank you, God. Like, I have nothing to hear this morning. I have all these things to give and offer the world. And, and, and thank you that I'm not like all these other people in the world. Or are we coming and we're truly, Lord, be merciful. I need to hear that we literally come and just bow before God and put out our hands and say, God, I need to hear from you. I don't have anything. says to watch our words. It talks about vows. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. I, I remember being in junior high. I think I've shared this story. And in my foolishness, I believed that if I read my Bible, God would give me a girlfriend. You laugh. You believed it too. You prayed it. I mean, we, we, we make these covenants with God. God, I will do this if you'll do this. And, and I think like 
God giving me a girlfriend, what a minimal view of God. He could give me so much more. And, and I was just like, I'll give you my life. Like, we, we make these vows and these commitments. And he says, don't, don't say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Like, ah, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to make that vow to you. I used to tell junior high kids all the time, you got to watch your mouth. Why? It's like toothpaste because once it's out there, you can't put it back in. Like, we, we, we can be so rash with our words and we promise God things and we make vows to God and, and he's like, you, you're to stand behind your word, that the words that come out of your mouth matter. They're significant. That the covenants you make with God are, are significant. They matter. And so we're to, to guard our mouth. And lastly, we're to, to guard our heart. I'm going to bring the worship team up. And this idea of, this idea of offering sacrifices. And I don't know about you, but I know me. I know my heart. And I think there's a lot of times that I come before God and I go, God, look what I've done for you. In some ways, God, you, you owe me. God, I woke up early this morning and I came and I gathered with all those people you told me I should gather with. God, I, I gave. I gave some of my precious resources. God, you owe me. And it, it's this idea of just this activity, just this performance, this religious ritual that ultimately has no significant heart behind it. And that's this idea of, of, that, he's, that he's describing in this passage of you're, you're coming and you're, 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 you're walking into this room and it's all about just performing. It's all about proving yourself to your neighbor. It's all about putting on this performance in a sense that, that you would gain the applause or acceptance of people and, and you're giving of sacrifices and you're, you're doing the religious things and you love posting about the Bible passages you read on social media and like, you know, here I am reading my Bible this morning. I'm not saying that's bad. You should be reading your Bible every morning, but it's, it's the sense of what's the heart behind it? Why are we doing the very things? Like, why are we walking through this religious practices? And God wants more than just our religious practices. God wants more than just our activity. He wants our lives. God gave himself holy to you, everything. He gave of his son, Jesus. He gave us his son, Jesus. He gave of his life. And we think that we can just bring a small offering and be like, here you go, God. He wants more than that. And I'm not saying like, well, he wants double your offering. He, he actually wants all of it. A lot of times we think about and, and like not to get hung up on giving, but I think that's where our mind's like, how do I give to the Lord? And you go, I'm called to give 10%. The reality is you're called to give 100%. Like we're called to steward 100% because every dollar we've been given is God's. And so it's not like God's is, he, it's 10% his. Like I'll earmark 10% because, you know, that's his. 100% is his. He's given you 100% to steward we entrust the tithe, the tenth, we entrust that back to him. God wants so much more, guys. God has so much more to offer us than this little covenant relationship in the sense of, uh, not little covenant relationship, catching my words here. He wants more than this vow of going, I'm going to give you a little bit and you'll give me a little bit. God's like, I want all of your life and I'll give you all of me. And I want you to experience all of me. I want you to stand in awe of me. I want you to see the presence of me. And I want it to captivate you. I want it to move you. I want it to posture you in a way when you walk in the room, you can't stand. You, you fall to your knees because you're overwhelmed with the holiness and beauty of God. That he wants so much more. 
that in a way that God has given us Sunday, God has given us this day of the week to come and to experience him in a unique way, to gather with a group of people that walk in this room and that we come and it is a refuge. It is a picture of what we're going to get to experience in heaven. But we get to walk out of this room and we get to go with his presence. His presence doesn't remain in the temple. We don't need sacrifices to be able to enter in. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the sacrifice once for all. He, he died so that there is no longer, it is finished, the payment was made in full, and we have full access to God. We have the, uh, the opportunity to stand in his presence. This is unbelievable, you guys, come on, right? We get to experience this. I'm out of breath, all right. Uh, it should overwhelm us. And, and that's why, like, when I read this text and, and this idea of going, you're going in God's house, like, he's in heaven, you're on earth, and I just go, man, he knows so much more. Why would I be so foolish to come in and, and be like, I'm going to say all these things? Why wouldn't I just listen? Why wouldn't I just receive from him? Why wouldn't I just come in with empty hands and say, God, I don't have anything. Would you fill me up? In Isaiah 2, it's a word of warning and he says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of God. It's decided, hey, listen up. Same thing what we're hearing in this passage. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of your burnt offerings and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls. He's like, don't bring these. It says, who has required this trampling of your courts? Who has called you to bring these sacrifices? I want more than your sacrifice. I want your life. I want your heart. I want full commitment. He says in verse 13, bring no more vain offerings, new moon and Sabbath feasts. I cannot adore their iniquity. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And where does he go? It says, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. And that may seem very frustrating and discouraging. Wash my, make myself, how do I do that? And in verse 18, he gives us the hope. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And so we come this morning, we come to experience and receive from the Lord. To not come this morning because... We have so much to bring and offer him. We just offer him our lives. When I think about the, the text, of, I'm going, well, okay, I got to guard my steps. I got to guard my mouth. I got to guard my, and, I, and I'm like, it can put you in a place of going, you're very cautious to, to, to do anything. And I would just say, we can like get rid of all those, like forget all three points, if we'll just come to a place of fearing God. Because in the presence of God, we're, we're going to be careful. In the presence of God, we're, our, our mouths are not just going to, our words will be few. We're going to guard our heart. We're going to, in, in the presence of God, and, and here's what I'd say, you're, you're, he's with you always. So to fear God, and so to, to come back to this idea, idea of Isaiah 6, and I'm going to read it to us. Uh, but, but I want to give you a few applications to think about. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and first of all, you've experienced the hardship of church. Like you've experienced, like this room has not been a place of respite and refuge. And I, I want you to hear me say, God knows your struggle. God knows what you're walking through. He's wanting to encourage you. He's wanting you to walk in. And even though your experience in church life has, has maybe been hard and difficult, He's wanting you to come in to be a light in the darkness, to embody in goodness of what the church is meant to be, of what we desire to be. Maybe this morning you come in and you go, you know what, I don't have anything to bring. I, I want you to hear like from the word of God, like he doesn't want your offering and sacrifice. He just wants your empty hands and empty life. It's a place of humility. We come before him. The first step of, of really like coming before God is just admitting that we don't have anything. We just come and we just say, God, here I am, empty hands. I don't have anything to bring you. 
and he accepts you, and he receives you, and he says, come into my house. There's some of us this morning that our desire in our heart is that you would know and experience the greatness of God. God is in this room, and we just get to listen. We get to hear. And so as I I read Isaiah 6 this morning, in closing, and as we sing Holy is Our God here in just a few minutes, as Greg said and as Greg started the morning, I pray that you would see him. I pray that you would experience him. That this wouldn't be a religious ritual or practice. You just walk in and you check out and you go about your day. But in the next 10 minutes, God would meet you in a unique way. While God's presence is always with us, our awareness is not always keen. So I I pray that you would experience him. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Church, in the presence of God, your guilt, your shame is taken away. Your sin is atoned for, and you get to experience the presence of God. Let's sing.